Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection featuring conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up on this edition, you will be hearing from former Indiana legislator Christy Chavers-Stutzman, who brings her unique perspective about the importance of Christians allowing their voices to be heard in the culture. Then, Kobe Ferguson, who spent part of his childhood in Selma, Alabama, is a Messianic Jew who leads an organization called Ma'oz Israel Ministries. His daughter recently joined the Israel Defense Forces, and you'll be hearing him discuss that event and how his ministry is actively at work in Israel during this troublesome time. And on this edition of The Intersection, Jerry Newcomb of D. James Kennedy Ministries and Providence Forum shares comments relative to the significance of the Bible and where this world would be without the influence of Scripture. Finally, from a ministry called Big Life, John Harima provides information about how that ministry is involved in helping local residents around the world serve their communities through Christ. In our conversation, he emphasized the work of helping people in Afghanistan flee the brutal Taliban regime. You'll be hearing from him coming up. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Christy Chavers-Stutzman is a former representative in the Indiana House of Representatives, a writer and commentator, and someone who believes that God's Word should inspire Christians to speak His truth into our culture. She has written a book called The Spiritual Price of Political Silence. Here now from a recent Meeting House conversation is Christy Chavers-Stutzman. I truly believe that after looking at our history, um, as a country and the things that have been attacked in our, our culture. Um, and there has been a direct attack on our Judeo-Christian founding and our Judeo-Christian faith. Uh, there is definitely a concerted effort within the realms of the university, academia, and other places. Uh, humanism has infiltrated our universities for actually decades now. Um, I would say almost over a hundred years, there's been a history of that type of philosophy infiltrating our um, institutions of higher learning. And it has affected our culture and it's kind of come up on us unawares. The principles of free speech, freedom of religion, uh, freedom to worship God according to our own conscience. That's why so many of the immigrants initially came to this country was that they were seeking asylum uh, from an attack on their freedom of religion, uh, from their ability to be able to speak out and speak their mind. And I think what has happened is that we have, we have swallowed the lie that there is a separation wall mm. between church and state to the point that as believers, as people of faith, we are not allowed to speak out publicly when it comes to anything regarding our government or politics, and that nothing could be further from the truth. Our founders were actually counting on people of faith being at the table, being part of the conversation and involved in the process because they created a unique um, structure. If people of faith are involved, it will survive. And that's why we see it uh, crumbling today, and that's why I wrote the book. What do you see as perhaps some of the necessary elements to, as we might say, reclaim these wonderful principles consistent with a Christian worldview that our nation was founded upon? I think one thing that we can do, um, and there's enough of us now, and, and there's enough of us that have woken up from um, this 
terrible nightmare that we're seeing our, our children experience in our schools. And we're still showing up to school board meetings and we're running for school board and we're running for different things and we're getting more involved in our communities. I think that's one thing. I think also we need to realize there's a chapter in my book called Who Determines American Culture? Mm. And a lot of us believe that, well, you know, Hollywood determines the culture and, you know, the media. Actually, no, it's us. And the, the encouraging thing I found uh, as I researched all the writings of our founding fathers, which, thank the Lord, they're still out there and we can still read them, um, is that they really created a situation and a, and a structure in our culture, but also in our government to where we still have power to change things. And I believe it starts in the home. So I don't believe American culture is determined by Hollywood. They're, they follow the money. Uh, whatever will make them money is what, what they're gonna do. Now, some of them do have an agenda, but I'd say the majority have to make money or else they're not gonna survive. And so I truly believe that you know we determine the culture that we create in our homes. We determine the culture we create in our communities, uh, getting to know our neighbors and going to our churches and our places of worship. Those things can make the difference. And when we get involved in government, yes, they're going to try to silence us. Like we, we've seen that with our new speaker. We've seen that with uh, over and over again, re repeated in our culture. But we can't give up. We have to realize the truth of our freedoms, the truth of our liberties, um, and that we do have power. Um, and we, we have been a silent majority for a long time, and we all know that. There's been a part of the you know people of faith in America who have been intimidated from speaking out and being involved, and they just don't like the ugliness, or they just don't understand it. But truly, it is our responsibility as Americans, and this is unique in the history of the world. Uh, we, there, I don't think there's any other country that has citizens that are born with a birthright of mm. pro protecting and providing and making sure that the freedoms and liberties that were hand out, handed down to them continue to the next generation. Um, that is unique to America. Christy Chaber Stutzman here on The Intersection. You can find her online at Books by Christy, that's C-H-R-I-S-T-Y dot org. Well, next on this edition of The Intersection, it's the president and CEO of Ma'oz Israel Ministries, Kobe Ferguson. In the course of our conversation, he shared about his daughter's entry into the Israel Defense Forces, as well as how the ministry's activities have changed since the war began on October 7th. Here now from that recent Meeting House conversation is Kobe Ferguson. Well, in Israel, um, other countries around the world are similar, but Israel's unique in some ways. It, it, all of our um, citizenry are basically a part of the um, IDF. Now, if it comes towards uh, certain age groups, we're in trouble <laughs> because that <laughs> means we're all in it together. Uh, but all of our greatest, best and brightest, uh, when they turn 18, they go in and serve. They're called into um, active duty. And so my daughter, she turned 18. Now the draft process begins when they're about 16 and they select them and they do batteries of tests over a couple of years. And so she will be going into the Air Force doing some things I can't really share about. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure she can't even tell us about it when she gets there. But she just, yes, just this week uh, went into the military and got her uniform and sent us a few pictures 
And so it, as Israeli parents, we're very proud. It's, it's a huge honor. It's a rite of passage uh, that all young people in Israel uh, go through. We've had humanitarian arms of our ministry for many years, but we said we've got to pivot everything we're doing now and really focus our operations on helping soldiers, helping civilians. And unfortunately, we have tens of thousands of something that we've never used before, a phrase called Israeli refugees. Uh, we've never used this in human history, in modern history at least, of Israelis being displaced because of war. Uh, different um, areas in Israel were completely annihilated. Whole villages were destroyed when 5,000 Hamas terrorists invaded us on October 7th. And so entire villages burned. And because of the thousands and thousands of missiles that are continuing to hit several areas, uh, in particular in the southern areas in Israel, they're just pounded and bombarded. So eventually the people just said, look, we can't live life in bomb shelters. Schools can't uh, even function. Most of the schools don't have room in the bomb shelters for more than just a couple of dozen kids at the most. So they fled to areas that are more safe. And so one of the things we found ourselves involved with that we never anticipated is working with uh, the Ilya, in Hebrew we say, uh, the municipalities and uh, government of Israel, uh, which is very interesting. Just a few months ago, might have uh, uh, had not had anything to do with us because mm. Messianic Jews are kind of frowned upon and uh, we're a little bit of a, a slight uh, in their in their eyes. But nevertheless, we've come together as a nation. And they're excited to work with us. It's something we've never experienced before. We're working with the mayor of a city called Ranana, which is near Tel Aviv, a very large city. Uh, and they've absorbed a lot of these evacuees, these refugees. And they said, look, could you help us start a school? So we're helping them start a school. Uh, Nazareth, which is a, a, an entirely Arab city, but they have very friendly relationships with Israel. And they're Arab Israelis, yes, we have a million and a half to two million Israeli Arab citizens in Israel. Uh, they can serve in the military. They can be on city councils. They can be mayors. They could even run for the prime ministership one day. So we have great relationship with a lot of our Arab brothers and neighbors. And so they said, we want to absorb a lot of these evacuees too. So they're helping start a school. Uh, but when they, we talked with them, they said, we, we don't even have a piece of paper for the schools. So we had um, an, an Israeli Arab worship leader that we work with. And he said, look, he said, obviously, there's no worship happening now and things are closed down because I want to help you guys. And can I uh, help outfit and supply the school with everything they need? So our ministry being supported by Christians and lovers of Israel all over the world just been able to do things, honestly, that we never anticipated, which is a, an amazing silver lining in the midst of the horrors and the atrocities, is that really amazing doors are opening now for people to come together and show support, which is mm. really touching the hearts in Israel in a way I've never seen before. Kobe Ferguson here on The Intersection. You can learn more at IsraelNeedsMe.com. 
Well, this is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming menu at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, as well as through that programming menu, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast and the Meeting House radio program. You'll also find links to the Intersection Podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple Podcast feed. Plus, you will find a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel through which you can watch video of Meeting House guests. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go through the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast at Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, and a variety of podcast platforms. This is the Intersection Podcast with Jerry Newcomb, Senior Producer and On-Air Host for D. James Kennedy Ministries, Executive Director of Providence Forum, and co-author with the late D. James Kennedy of the book, What If the Bible Had Never Been Written?, In our recent conversation, he shared about some of the content of the book, as well as a new documentary based on it. Here now from that Meeting House conversation is Jerry Newcomb. A lot of people feel as if uh, we, you know, the things that we enjoy in Western civilization, they somehow came about through secularism or something like that. And it's just not true. I mean, even the the realm of science, uh, some of the most important scientific thinkers uh, did what they did out of their working out of their biblical worldview. Johannes Kepler, the great astronomer, said that we uh, astronomers are priests of the Most High God. We are thinking God's thoughts after Him. A rational God had made a rational universe, and it was up to the scientists to discover the laws that the creator has impressed upon his own creation. So some of the greatest people in all of the world that have contributed so much to humanity, including scientists, including uh, Christian statesmen like uh, William Wilberforce or uh, George Washington or Abraham Lincoln, they were major, major readers of the Bible. And it wasn't just, you know, something for entertainment or whatever. It was for the purpose of knowing God and walking with God. Uh, some of the greater, greatest schools and, and uh, you know, that have been founded were founded in order to uh, study the Bible, the Word of God. And, uh, you know, whether we're talking about Harvard or Yale or Dartmouth or Princeton or going back to England, Oxford and uh, Cambridge and so forth. These, it's important to realize our Western civilization was built up in many ways by belief in the Bible. The Bible teaches in the very first chapter that human beings are made in the image of God. Well, when you're made in the image of God, that makes you special per se. Uh, It's it's like one of the anecdotes uh, that we used, this particular anecdote comes from what if Jesus had never mourned, but I, I like to bring this up. 
as an example about the importance of the Imago Dei, the idea of we're made in the image of God. There was a French uh, engineer that was teaching a class one time in the 1800s, and he asked his students, what is the single most important thing to come out of a mine? And the students were, you know, guessing, uh, you know, different minerals and, you know, well, is it gold? Is it plutonium? Is it uh, diamonds? You know, whatever. And he, after they, you know, gave all kinds of different answers like that, he said, no, the single most important thing to come out of the mine is the miner. Now, that's a Christian worldview. And it's that kind of Christian worldview that changed our world. Earlier, I mentioned William Wilberforce uh, as an example of a Bible reader that uh, that impacted the world for good. William Wilberforce was a member of parliament for a long, long time, and he actually first became a parliamentarian in the House of Commons uh, when he was about 21 years old, but he was converted reading the Bible about five or six years later. And then soon thereafter, he... Uh, felt God Almighty leading him to uproot slavery in the British Empire. And he did it by God's grace over the, the next 50 years. Step one was to stop the slave trade. No more going into the, you know, the coast of Africa and getting these slaves from the Muslim traders and, and then bringing them over to the Western world. No, no, no. That, that stopped. That was phase one. Then phase two was freeing all those slaves that were there in the British Empire. It was a very difficult and arduous task. He, he, he met one obstacle after another, but the Bible inspired this Christian crusade. And, um, you know, even some secularists, if they, you know, talk about Wilberforce, are familiar with him, they have to acknowledge, yeah, that's, that's what his motivation was. So the Bible has just motivated all kinds of positive things in our world and i think uh you know unfortunately we've gotten into this place where people are they as paul jaley puts it he's a pilgrim expert president of the plymouth rock foundation people like the the fruit uh hmm. you know of the christian liberties we enjoy but they don't like the root which is the judeo-christian tradition the Bible. Jerry Newcomb here on The Intersection. You can find out more at djameskennedy.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, the CEO and founder of the ministry organization Big Life, John Harima. In our recent conversation, he discussed the model that the organization uses in training local leaders around the world to be involved in spreading the gospel and specifically highlighted how Big Life has been involved in reaching people in the aftermath of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. Here now from that conversation is John Harima. We go into these areas and we look for the Luke 10 people of peace and uh, mm. you know, the people that the Lord's already stirring in to uh, reach their own. And then we find them and, you know, our main concentration is just to go deep. And if we can go deep with these people who are passionate about their own, about their own, the Lord's going to take care of the growth. And so, you know, we're just trying to follow Jesus strategy. You know, he poured into the few and um, he made disciples who made disciples who made disciples. And that's really the entire strategy for big life is to, at Second Timothy 2, too, you know, try to get to that fourth generation of disciple-making. 
you went into Afghanistan in 2010, and that, as I understand it, really strategically prepared you to be at work, to be really used of God in that very, very confusing and, in many cases, tragic time around the uh, the season in which the U.S. troops withdrew from Afghanistan, and, of course, that empowering the Taliban to a, a larger degree. So tell me just a bit about how God put big life in the center of, of that whole scenario. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the, the person I just talked about uh, felt like he was being called to reach the extremists. You know, the overflow from his work actually went across the border in Afghanistan, and we started seeing all these you know, underground churches uh, popping up all over and thousands of people that uh, were giving their life to Jesus. And about, you know, five days before the bombing of the Kabul airport, we got a call from several retired Green Berets and, and military officials and and some of the task force pineapple guys that uh, were adamant trying to get, you know, their former interpreters and informants out and um you know once the bombing happened they were no longer able to do that so they asked if we would get involved because we had the boots on the ground so we uh reached out to our leaders in afghanistan and and again like i said you know they know the language they know the culture they don't get homesick and they are passionate about their own people so instead of running away during the chaos they ran towards you know the danger chaos always leads to opportunity Hmm. And we started off and, you know, we we ended up relocating about 600 people that the military had asked us to help with. And um, then it grew into some, you know, former Afghan officials that uh, were in power before the Taliban took over and uh, were pretty high up on the hit list. And, and we were able to help them. And, and then it turned into, you know, organizations asking us to help get their people out. And then, you know, a lot of underground believers in northern Afghanistan whose lives were in jeopardy. And so to date, um, you know, we've relocated about 55,000 Afghans. Wow. Uh, Some of them were believers. You know, a lot of them were not. But uh, the ones that were not, just helping them get out of that situation into a safer area. And we had to put them into neighboring countries over there. We, you know, and um, but it gave our our folks doing all the follow up, you know, the opportunity to share why they were helping them. And once they started feeling safe, uh, they started asking us questions like, you know, I don't understand why you helped me. And um, the opportunities it gave us to uh, to spread the truth. And um, you know, we've seen this incredible fruit in some of the most difficult areas in the world. I mean, the group, the the, the fruit from. Uh, just running into the chaos and uh, and using that as an opportunity has been you know so much higher than what our normal fruit in those areas have been over the last few years. Uh, we've we've seen more fruit in the last two years since the Taliban took over than we ever have. And when you talk about relocating people, over fifty five thousand people that you've been involved in relocating. So where do they typically go? Usually neighboring countries. Some of them were um, relocated to safer areas in in their own country. Um, basically hiding in plain sight. Yeah. But uh, most of them, you know, we uh, we got them in the neighboring countries. We got them certified with the UNHRC, so they would be allowed to stay in those new areas. 
And now we're trying, you know, put them in position where they can thrive because, you know, we can't afford, they can't afford to be dependent on us. So we're trying to help them start businesses or help them, you know, get uh, registered with different organizations so they can get jobs and that and start, you know, living a life that where they can thrive on their own but also be trained as disciple makers. John Harama here on The Intersection. The website address is big.life. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can connect with The Meeting House through meetinghouseonline.info or through the programming section at faithradio.org. Just look for The Meeting House link. That will take you to The Meeting House homepage where you will find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast and the Meeting House radio program. There's also a link to the Media Center through that programming menu at faithradio.org. And through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to the Intersection podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple podcast feed, plus You'll find a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel through which you can watch video of Meeting House guests, including recently added content from the Summer 2023 Christian Product Expo in Lexington, Kentucky. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.